facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to the program. This is The Kale Clark Show. My name is Brooke Taylor in for Kale with two big time guests on the program today. This show is like a spiritual special forces mission. We have psyops, we have direct action as we talk about spiritual warfare and the movie Nefarious, and we have recon and search and rescue as we explore bringing back souls adrift and conversion of secular culture with an Oxford educated theologian, professor, author, and we only have one hour to do it all. So come Holy Spirit, we pray, and I want to just jump right in. Dr. Ryan Topping is a philosopher and scholar and president, director of the Benedict XVI Institute for the New Evangelization at Newman Theological College in Edmonton, Canada, and he'll be with us a little later in the show. He's the author of 10 books about education and culture, and his latest work is what we will discuss. It's called Thinking as Though God Exists, Newman on Evangelizing the Nuns, Rebuilding the Family, the Recovery of Artistic Traditions, Education, the Arts are all covered in what I think personally has been one of the most powerful books that I've read in recent memory. Dr. Topping, again, will be later with us to talk about that topic. And First up is the lead actor in the new film, Nefarious. Sean Patrick Flannery plays the character Edward, a convicted serial killer who undergoes a psychiatric psychiatric exam. It's an evaluation in which he claims that he's a demon. You may have heard about this film. It started kind of quietly, and it has gained a lot of momentum, particularly among the demographic of believers, of Catholics, but also it's in the horror genre. So really catching, casting a wide net of a lot of people. And I had a chance to see the movie with my husband, one of our older sons a few days ago. It was so different than what I expected. And it reminded me of something that I witnessed last year. It's a fascinating phenomenon. Two of my teenage sons last year, along with a group of friends, stood in a line that wrapped around a downtown feeder, and it was several blocks back, hundreds of people waiting to see the man on stage. And on that stage were no special effects, no fancy lighting, but just a stool and a microphone. And it was to listen to a lecture. So you think of how many young students, how many college students are trying to get out of lectures. And this particular demographic, young, a lot of young men, women were trying to get in, paying to get in. And it was just the truth. And it was Jordan Peterson, Professor Peterson was there on stage. And something about what he said sparked this thought in these young people of truth and of logic and reason. And that, I think, is a great parallel with this movie, Nefarious. Its simplicity is its strength. There's no profanity. There's no gratuitous violence. There's no levitating or projectile vomiting, but rather dialogue and depth. And I want to take a listen to the trailer before we jump into our guest. Let's do that now. Take a listen. Execution scheduled for 11 p.m. He's trying to convince us he's gone insane. And therefore incapable of being executed. I need you to prove he's faking it. Edward? I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm not Edward. I'm a demon. Demons aren't really a thing. What happened to Edward? We own him. We? <laughs> He's a 
master manipulator. You have your head so twisted around you think you're the killer, not him. Mm. Here to discuss the making of the film Nefarious and its message is actor Sean Patrick Flannery. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, ma'am. Thanks for having me. Hey, Sean, you've been in the business for a long time, and I was just looking over your resume. You were in the movie Powder. You played an albino man. Remember that? Also, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, Boondock Saints. But this is a film, it seems like, unlike anything else you've done. What drew you to this role, to this character? Um, you know, ultimately, <clears throat> I don't get an opportunity to do uh, th th this type of writing and these roles. Th th these roles are why you pack your car up after college and you drive out, you know, 3000 miles away from home and get a roommate on Craigslist in LA in hopes of one opportunity in a 40 year career that you get an opportunity to do a role like this. And, and I, I really feel that way. You, you mentioned one other film. I've had two roles like this that I really thought were, you know, wonderful opportunities and, and it was powder and then nefarious. Um, I, I originally worked with Chuck and Carrie, the writers and the directors back in 2004 on a project and at culmination of that film, I, I jokingly told them, man, I love you guys. I would do a Fruit Loops commercial with you. And a year and a half ago uh, from today, uh, they called and they said, Flannery, we got a Fruit Loops commercial. And they sent me this script and we were off to the races. <laughs> and I mean, but wow, what what an unexpected result. And so you play the role of Edward, a man sentenced to death, awaiting execution, possessed by a demon. And your performance is brilliant. I keep hearing that and I believe it. That really was what blew me away. I Oscar worthy and convincing. And so I guess in terms of preparing for your role, I heard you say that when the words are real enough on the page, your body just takes over and just reacts. And it sounds like for you, it was it wasn't just cerebral, but also physically and maybe metaphysically as well. Well, I'll tell you this about, you know, uh, something I read a long time ago uh, by another actor. I want to say it was James Dean who said an actor can no more discuss his craft than a plant can discuss horticulture. And it really resonated with me. I mean, all of these I always hear actors talking about a process and what they go through. But 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 for me, I just the same way when I read a good book. I lose myself in the story. And, and I think everybody's had this happen when sometimes, you know, you're reading an emotional part of part of a story. And if you're on a train, you get self-conscious because people can see your eyes watering. It's, if you believe the story enough, your body just reacts accordingly and you can't really can't really stop it. Um, having said that, I didn't inhabit anybody. Nobody inhabited me. I didn't channel anybody. Um, the character was something that I was portraying only. Um, the, the physical attributes and it, 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 it lasted in between action and cut and that's it. It was, it was acting, um, and, and nothing more. I, I didn't have any traumatic experience going into it. Uh, I had a wonderful time on set. Uh, we went out to dinner every night. Um, you know, because I, I get those questions like, wow, how was it? How did you shake off that character? Well, you know, they, they called cut. That's how I shook it off. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I, I have my roots, you know, they're, they're, they're sunk pretty deep. It's uh, I don't, I don't forget who I am and, and I am an actor. That, that term means I'm acting. I'm not becoming, I don't become anything. Yeah. But you say that the way that it was written, 
in that process of acting, it really was natural because the words, it was well-written and there was a lot of truth and solid, from a Catholic perspective, a theological perspective, a, a lot of solid, solid apologetics in that as well. And it sounds like as you read the script, it did speak to you in terms of how good the writing was. Well, yeah, I, I mean, the better, the more well-written a script is, it, 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 it ultimately, it can become an instruction manual of how to create a character. And I'll give you an example. You know, some of my favorite books, they may not mention what kind of ice cream this character likes, but I can tell you what kind of ice cream character they like. And I think everybody that reads the book thinks the same way. You know, they may not have described, you know, the way he acts around certain people, but you can tell because they've described every other aspect of his personality. And I thought the script was so well written, as well as the counterpoint. You, you know, you have Edward, um, the person that is de de possessed by nefarious. But Edward, you know, is potentially somebody that, that, that when he becomes cognizant as to, to the things that he's done, he can't even believe that his own hands did those things. So then you have the counterpoint of nefarious orchestrating all the activity and then a person coming to realize, how did I do these things? Um, and it is, it's, 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 uh, you know, I'm proud to be a, a, a part, uh, of, of a film with this message. I stand behind everything that it says. It parallels my belief system, my face, uh, every, everything about it. And, and normally those amazing roles don't, don't parallel things that you, you personally support. I want to share the phone lines in case anyone has any questions. It's one 914 Sean Patrick Flannery is my guest. He stars in the movie Nefarious out in theaters now. Father Carlos Martins is an exorcist. He calls the film the best movie portraying demonic possession ever produced. And I thought it was really interesting because in an upside down kind of way, which is also genius because if you're speaking of the demonic, inversion makes sense. It is not... Even in this case, it's not the priest and it's not anyone else that preaches the gospel. It's actually the demon. And of course, the demon preaches his version of the gospel, which is, you know, upside down and he hates every word of it. But he's looking at this atheist across the table from him as if he is some degenerate because he has to explain it. And that there's so many interesting dynamics. And I'm just curious from the feedback that you've heard, the reactions and maybe any stories that have stood out to you as far as how the film has impacted viewers. Well, you know, it, it's, it's my inbox on social media has completely blown up. You know, I, I, I've done movies. I've done movies before, you know, where people will, will send you a message and say, hey, I really like X or Y. Then you do a movie like this, or like I did another movie, Born a Champion, came out a couple of years ago, um, or, or Powder, and they write you thousand-word, multi-paragraph social media in, in direct messages, and you realize this is more than just them enjoying a film. I mean, if somebody takes the time to pour their heart out on social media and write, I'm, I'm not kidding, you know, I have some you know, uh, chapters that people have sent me on this film, it really more than resonated. I mean, it, it, it planted itself inside them and made them think I've had people on all sides too. I've had people contact me and, and I, I, I had one person almost act like it was a confessional, sent me a message and wrote in, in 18 parts. I'm, I'm making up the number, but it's close to 20 each with a ton of words. 
and they just wanted to get things off their chest. And they said that they're going to make a course correction. And I just thought, oh, wow. I, I you know, it, 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 you, you, you see it in real time. You see that this mirror is held up. People look in and they see something they don't like. And it really forces them to walk away and go, I'm going to change that. I'm going to change that. Yeah, because I, I think, it, again, it's it's the dialogue, it's the way that the story is weaved together. And I want to take a call from Erin. She's on the line now from Reno, who saw the film. And Erin, I know that you wanted to share with Sean your feedback. It was good. You enjoyed it? Yes, absolutely. Just incredible acting. And I uh, just, just wanted to not only make sure you knew that, but it, as I looked at the script, I was so excited to see it. Um, just realizing that the whole movie was really carried. If if you hadn't done the role in that way, I just don't think it wouldn't have been as, as impactful. So just thank you so much for playing such an incredible role. Um, just kudos to you. Uh, thank you, ma'am. I, 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 I really appreciate that. Thank you. I mean, I know that humility is an important virtue, but also <laughs> recognizing that you have a gift. I mean, that performance really was, I agree with Aaron, outstanding and, and Oscar worthy. And I've heard that being thrown around. I don't know if that'll happen with the Academy, but I hope and pray that they will see that. And Nick is also on the line. I want to take Nick while we can from Chicago. Uh, Nick, you saw the film? I want to tell you, it was a masterful performance. I've never quite any seen anything such as a tour de force as this. And I have to tell you that for the last five months, I've been working as an internal medicine doctor in a forensic psychiatric hospital where patients, some of them have murdered their wife, others have murdered their daughter and grandchild, others have shot children at uh, Halloween night when they've knocked on their door, other people have stabbed uh, eight-year-old children 72 times. And I have to tell you, I mean, it, it, it's it's this question in my mind taking care of these folks it was this demonic or is it not and the fact that i was leaving this situation and and i felt like i was abandoning these people who were so much need of prayer if if they were possessed by demons um i can't tell you how this movie wrenched me around in 26 different directions it your your performance was unlike anything i've ever seen I mean, it is beyond Academy Award winners in the past. And I would, you know, I'm going to go see the movie again a second time, but I, I would recommend anyone who's even questioning seeing the movie to see it. It's, it's breathtaking. My wife, who's uh, from another country, is not a Christian, not a Catholic, she was mesmerized by it. And uh, it, it was uh, kudos, fantastic job. You really, you really took on the role. And, and did it in a way that is quite accurate of many of these people that I've, I've been taking care of. You know, that, that, you know, the world says they're psychotic, and maybe they are, but I think a couple of them, more than a couple of them, have demons. Well, God bless wow. you, brother. You know, I'll tell you, you know, uh, here, here's the difference, and I hope you understand this. You probably don't get your social media inbox filled with people throwing praise at you. But let me tell you something. Y your job sits my job down. I, I have a easy and a wonderful job. You're the one that's really making changes out there and doing something far more important than me. So God bless you, brother. And thank you for watching the movie. 
I, I, I thank you for letting it inspire you and let, let you look at people in a different way and maybe help you to continue on doing that work. But God bless you, brother. Thank you. God bless you, Nick. Amen. And I think this brings up a good point. We're speaking with Sean Patrick Flannery. He plays the role of Edward, the lead character of the film Nefarious Out Now. And when it comes to faith-based films, quite frankly, a lot of times the funding just isn't there when it comes to the arts and in the bigger studios. And honestly, it's a political world as well. So compromises often have to be made and with the budget or quality. And depending on the theme or the audience, some people will just promote it anyway. And they'll say, you know, with an obvious, obvious like confirmation bias, like this is the best movie ever. And in the long run, it's not helpful because we need films like this that is actually fantastic quality. The Passion of the Christ, another one where it stands the test of time because the substance is there and the quality is there and we don't need to compromise. And so that's what I think is so fascinating about the reviews of Nefarious. You go on to uh, Rotten Tomatoes and they pan it, but then the audience gives it 97% positive score. So what's your take on that, Sean? Well, I I think they showed their colors a long time ago. I I think nowadays everybody understands that. I mean, I mean, really what, what my goal is, is to have rotten tomatoes, hate it and the public to love it. Everybody knows what, you know, cuties, the the critics loved cuties and the public absolutely hated it. Um, Fauci, they, the critics loved the Fauci documentary. The public absolutely hated it. Um, you know, the Chappelle, the anti-woke, his stand-up, the critics hated it. The public absolutely loved it. The current era of thought here, uh, I, I mean, it, they, have, they no more have their finger on the, the zeitgeist of the pu- current public than they can fly. I mean, it's, it's truly laughable. So now, I, I mean, I'm, I would be afraid if critics loved my movie. That would almost be uh, that would be a personal attack on me. I mean, because they've they've established their viewpoint as such. It would it would fly in the face of what I think is is creative performance. And even the genre labeling is genius because it's under horror, but it's really this Trojan horse for good. And it's it's psychological. It's so much more. It's it's dramatic. Uh, I want to take Michael. We are almost out of time here, but he's calling from California. He has seen the film and has a comment. Hi, Michael. Are you there? Yes. Hello. Uh, hello. Uh, and um, I'm afraid I don't know the guest host's name, but I do know Sean, Flat- uh, Sean Patrick uh, Flannery's name. Um I just wanted yes. to say how I've seen the film and how brilliant your performance was. It's uh, it's a lot like the screw tape letters, and it's made me to uh, uh, you know understand how urgent it is for the salvation of souls and to share the gospel. And it also uh, makes me uh, more careful about examining my conscience uh, on a on a on a uh, in in real time basis. You know, uh, getting all irritated or annoyed or uh, you know having an immodest look, you know, if a, you know, or some, just staying away from those little yeses. Uh, also, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a personal friend of, uh, of Father Darren Marino. Shout out to Father Darren. Um, you know, uh, he was on the, he was in the film as well. Um, I just, uh, Mr. Flannery, I think your, your performance was absolutely on point. And I just want to say you were, you were loved and appreciated, sir. Well, God bless you, brother. I really appreciated that. Thanks. Thanks for the kind words. 
Thank you, Michael. And it's Brooke Taylor in for Kale Clark, by the way. Sean Patrick Flannery is our guest. And just want to thank you so much. We're almost out of time. But, you know, going back to what Nick said, and I think this takeaway of the film is inhumanity, our inability to solve the problem of evil is exactly what the hypothesis of theism entails. The existence of unexplainable evil confirms rather than disconfirms the existence of God. And there was, there was Aquinas in there. There were so many different nuggets that I was pleasantly surprised and inspired. And so if you're thinking about it, not all of these movies are the same. And usually I'll be honest, I'm not a big fan, but this one I do think merits a view. It's called Nefarious. Sean Patrick Flannery is with us. And Sean, it's the best way to go. It's a website, I know, but also then you can get listings and movie times. It still is out in theaters nationwide, correct? Yes, ma'am. It is, and, and you know, th- there, there's a uh, there's a number of people that have inquired because uh, when you try to search it on uh, Fandango, it's not coming up. But it it, it is still all over the country. Um, so if you if you if you're a little tenacious, you 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 can find it. <laughs> Thank you. God bless you for your work. And we will cover you in prayers for what's to come and the continued fruits. I know you're receiving a lot of feedback, as you mentioned, and that's a lot. It's a blessing. It's a gift, but also for your wisdom in responding and uh, in your own journey. Thank you for your work. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me on. And thank you for the prayers. I'll do the same. You're welcome. God bless you. Dr. Peter Kreeft talks about spiritual warfare in the sense that we need heroes, you know, and that this day and age, we almost prefer hot tubs to battlefields. And this movie is a great reminder that we are all called, the church militant, to this cosmic drama that we're called to be heroes and that that means that nothing other than being a saint will do. And it's a serious movie for a serious time. So very grateful again to Sean Patrick Flannery. And when we come back, Dr. Ryan Topping is standing by. He earned a doctorate in theology from the University of Oxford. And his latest book is Thinking as Though God Exists, Newman on Evangelizing the Nuns, Denormalizing Atheism, Recapturing Our Culture for the Lord. And it's Brooke Taylor and for Kale Clark. Cannot wait to unpack the pages of this book. The studio line is open. one 914 is the number to call. Join the conversation here on Relevant Radio and the app. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. faith and how you can live it and share it too. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. I had this like existential crisis when I was a kid and, uh, and tried to figure out what's it all about and, conf- and none of the books I read seemed to actually have a good answer. You know, so I said I read all the religious texts and I read a bunch of philosophy books and they're all quite depressing. Um, actually, when I read uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I thought, okay, this is a pretty good one. Um, you know, just to sort of try to uh, gain greater enlightenment over time, that seems like a good goal. Because we don't really know what the meaning of, the, of, the, of life is, um, but, or even really what the right questions are to ask, but if we can uh, improve our understanding of the universe, then eventually we can figure out what the right question to ask is, uh, you know, if it's not meaning of life, it's something, you know. Yeah. Do you recognize that voice? That is Elon Musk when 
asked about his religious philosophy. We've heard him recently in this whole discussion about AI say he identifies as a speciest, <laughs> rooting for the human race. But depending on how that question is asked, he might fit into the demographic of nuns, and that is religiously unaffiliated people, atheists or agnostics. Nothing for now, in other words. Welcome to, back to the program. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show. My name is Brooke Taylor, in for Kale. And so we hear that and wonder, what is the Catholic response who really are the enlightened ones, I guess? And, and that's what we're going to explore with our next guest. And Yilan has spoken a lot about the abstract. And the abstract is the specialty of the philosopher. And we are blessed to have one of the best, I dare say, with us to explore this theme. Dr. Ryan Topping is the author of 10 books on education and culture, including The Case for Catholic Education and Rebuilding Catholic Culture. He is the director of the Benedict XVI Institute for the New Evangelization at Newman Theological College in Edmonton, Canada, and educated at Oxford, a Catholic convert, there's a story there, and also a husband and father of 10 children. His new book is Thinking as Though God Exists, Newman on Evangelizing the Nuns. And in the back of the book, as I'm reading, George Weigel calls the book Two-in-One, an instruction manual and an introduction to the mind and heart of the modern church's great spirits. And this is a force, a very powerful book. Grateful to welcome the author now. Welcome to the show, Dr. Topping. Thank you very much, Brooke. Thanks for having me. So glad it worked out and, and that you're joining us. And I was hoping that you might actually respond to that clip that we heard a moment ago of Elon Musk. Um, but before we even do that, let's talk about the premise and the purpose of your book, this book, Thinking as Though God Exists. Sure. Well, I myself, as, as you mentioned, I'm a convert from Protestantism. My wife and I grew up as Mennonites. We were very happy to be, uh, to be uh, devout Protestants. But eventually along the way, there were too many internal contradictions, and so we, we started to look to other sources, like, uh, well, we, we read medieval philosophy and poetry, and, and along the way read, read Dante, actually, when we were on pilgrimage in Rome once. Uh, so this book comes out of a, it's really a, a thank you gift back to, to Newman to honor him. Uh, he was beatified and, and then made a saint of the church, and some of us hope that he'll become a doctor very soon. So this is just one small way of saying thank you and hoping to uh, help his insights, which are brilliant, ever uh, reach even a, a little bit of a broader audience. Yeah, and you say that Newman observed well. He recognized that the West would soon turn against itself. And I think when we consider the psychology and, and really the, the malformation of our modern-day secularists, there, there are still some important shreds of agreement that we have there, and maybe those are meeting places. But I'm even thinking mm -hmm. about that Elon Musk comment and that it, should our mm -hmm. humanity collapse, like artificial intelligence taking over, that that would be hell on earth. And I've heard him speak about that in agreement. And mm. Newman was a great theorist. He, he predicted these disruptions of anthropology and philosophy and the culture and the family. But how do you think yeah. he would respond to, to those reflections to Musk and, and you know, just technology and maybe his philosophy. Sure. Sure. No, that, that's an uh, interesting, great question. Uh, well, uh, maybe one thing about Newman first, then I'll get to Musk. So Newman, you know, uh, some of the greats in the 19th century were Newman uh, on the Catholic side and, and Leo the Thirteenth. He was the powerful Catholic Pope that gave us the St. Michael, the Archangel prayer. Uh, and then Friedrich Nietzsche, who is the archetypical atheistic philosopher. And you know, it's rare to have uh, three people like this agree, but they all did agree that the 19th century was headed for disaster. Uh, and, uh, and all three of them predicted that the next, uh, the coming years, the 20th century, would be a bloodbath. And 
Uh, and that's in fact what happened. The, the scholarly number that's the most credible scholarly number that we have is that 100 million citizens, that is to say civilians, not people engaged directly in warfare, were actively killed by communist regi regimes. <clears throat> so if you think of Dostoevsky saying that uh, if God is dead, everything's permissible, it, it, that did play itself out uh, in, in a remarkably horrible way in the 20th century. So to go to Elon Musk, um, yeah, I mean, Elon Musk is uh, an amazing man. I, I don't, you know, I don't know him personally. I have no connections to him that way. I've read, his, read a biography of his. Uh, I admire greatly the, the kinds of engineering ingenuity he has, and he's done remarkable things. Here in Canada, the Freedom Convoy last year was, uh, or a year and a half ago, was a, was a big deal. And uh, in, in the midst of that, Elon, uh, perhaps because of it, he, he decided to take over Twitter. So uh, strangely enough, he's someone that social conservatives uh, often now look to, like Jordan Peterson as well, as someone who's um, uh, kind of fighting in our corner on some fronts. Uh, your clip, I, didn't, I wouldn't say I heard everything that he was saying there, but I, I gather that um, Musk, uh, Musk wants us to go to other planets. He thinks this is a good yes. idea. He's a specious. Like, imagine that. Mm. You know, you, you, like, <laughs> you like babies, not bees. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. So, so this, is, you know, this, is, this is wonderful, and he's got a couple billion dollars behind him, so he can, he can put his money where his mouth is, so to speak. Um, I guess the question that I think uh, a Catholic or, or you know, just an open-minded thinker would, would have is, hey, look, if there's no God, and he says we don't even know whether there's meaning in life, uh, normally what you'd call that is nihilism. Nihilism is the philosophy that there's nothing. And, and so you just posit things. So saving your grandma is just as good as, uh, you know, saving someone in the corner is just as good as pushing them in front of the car. There's, there's literally no reason, no rationality, uh, which would govern why we act one way or another. So uh, Elon Musk is a bit of a shotgun in terms of what he says. And, you know, I, I'm grateful for, for the fact that he thinks humanity is worth fighting for. In your book, you talk about even before we can get to the point of evangelizing, and just to reset the title, it's Thinking as Though God Exists, Newman on Evangelizing the Nuns. So we're talking about going in and the conversion of secular culture, and it requires a lot of things, rebuilding the family and the recovery of mm -hmm. our artistic traditions. But before we we get there, we have to examine the vice of our age, and you suggest that's acedia or weak love, mm. and that arises from mm -hmm. souls that lack conviction. Can you talk about that? Right. Sure, yeah. Well, you know, the, the number one reason why, this is a U.S. stat, but it's true across the Western world, the number one reason why people die under 50 isn't because of heart disease, isn't, it isn't uh, car accidents, whatever, it's, it's deaths by despair. Now, that means, uh, you know, to, to give another term, uh, more people die in a year from fentanyl in the United States now than, than those who have died in wars since uh, for the last 65 years. Like, it's, it's just horrendous. Why is it? Why is it that we're filled with sadness, even though we've got the, the best water, we've got the, uh, you, you know, the uh, best standard of living in the world? And I think one of, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of good reasons that I was listening to your film clip before about nefarious. I mean, whoa, what, a, what an amazing uh, film, uh, you know, there's, there are demonic forces that are in play, um, yeah. but, but nature builds on grace, and, and God is always invested, he, he's, he thinks the world matters, and he, he wants us to use our intellect. The intellect, in fact, is the highest gift that we have. You can't love without the mind, right? Otherwise, you're, you're a bumblebee. Uh, so 
when you when you wipe out that horizon, when you tell young a young person that there's actually no rational reason for why you should be good versus bad, in fact, there's no way to define or distinguish those two. What you're doing is you're quelling or you're you're stamping on, you're throwing a a, a wet blanket over that candle which makes us like God. It's the thing that makes uh, joy possible. If you wipe away intellect, then then sadness is sure to follow. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. 888-914-9149 is our studio line. Would love to hear from you. Join the conversation. We are speaking with Dr. Ryan Topping. He earned a doctorate in theology from the University of Oxford, and his latest book is Thinking as Though God Exists, Newman on Evangelizing the Nuns. And so we, and we're talking N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S, but those who identify as nothing at all, either agnostic or atheist. And we'll get into more of what that definition means and entails, but we know a lot of people more and more in our circles and how do we denormalize atheism, atheism and to convert our secular culture again. And Dr. Topping's been with us to discuss that. One of the areas, Dr. Topping, that I wanted to ask you about is about homilies in our churches. And in terms of the reforms of the last council, the area of homiletics is a point that you point out suffered a little bit because the data shows the Bible is only even mentioned in one out of four homilies average in that there's just a lack of clarity about what the purpose of a homily is. Can you go into that a little bit? Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I, you know, I have no, uh, no, take no door or have no uh, desire to poke fun at, at anyone's homilies in particular, of course. But uh, yeah, there's, there's been some interesting research that's come out in the last couple of years that has been tracking uh, how it is that Catholics versus Protestants respond to homilies, how important they think they are, how, and how likely homilies are to, to, to be a hook for them in the faith. So the reason why I think this is important to ask is because of the general exodus that's gone on in the last couple of decades, that is with the rise of the nuns. Right now there's, uh, you know, it's roughly one out of three, in the United States it's about one out of three people who are under uh, 35 self-identify as nuns. So, you know, we need, like, like if my business is, failing, like, let's say I sell cars and, and all of a sudden I'm losing uh, you know, 30% of my customer base and only two out of 10 Catholics, uh, my customers are showing up uh, for the for the weekly meeting. It's a re- it's a time for invitation. It's a time to, to look again at, at what we're offering. And I think the message that, um, you know, the church has been through times of upheaval before. Uh, so one of the messages, I think, to, here's, here's one point. One is that um, the Lord, whenever the, there's a winnowing in the church, it's a time of renewal and of, of self-examination, not, not to scrutinize for no point, but really a call for conversion. This is for all of us. So, you know, there's, there's never reason for despair. There's never a reason for lack of hope. Uh, you, you know, if you're a preacher and, and you're not uh, attracting people by your homilies, but it is a time to renew and, and to look back at the sources. This is what the Second Vatican Council called for. Look back to the original sources of the church. So when it comes to homilies, um, you know, let's just stop talking. Like, we don't need to give jokes. You know, Newman gives this beautiful advice. He, who's, you know, he's one of the great preachers of all time. Uh, and he says, what you need to do is don't waste people's time. The reason why they're there is not to listen to you, but listen to the Word of God as it, as it expresses itself, or as you become the medium for the revelation that God has already given. In other words, preach about the four last things. Don't worry about... Um, don't worry about your own opinions. Don't, don't worry about 
uh, even being relevant. The gospel is always relevant, and we have to repose in that fact that the Word of God will touch people if we convey it in all its fullness. I'm just reading what he has to say about the Church's worship. Nothing is so consoling, so piercing, so thrilling, so overcoming as the Mass— as it is said among us, I could attend masses forever and not be tired. It is not a mere form of words. It is a great action, the greatest action that could be on earth. But also, again, as you mentioned and point out, his writing is brilliant. His passion is so evident. And that almost reminds me of what John Chrysostom has written about the divine liturgy. But as you said, that we don't need to try to be relevant, but to be truthful and clear mm-hmm. and impassioned. And that almost goes back to That's what right. you said earlier about acedia and how when there's a weak love, it's anemic, it's hard mm-hmm. to catch fire. <laughs> you know, when there's a burning mm-hmm. bonfire, mm-hmm. um, it burns yeah. brightly. And 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 also looking at where the church is growing and where there is renewal. And we see that right now where mm-hmm. tradition is embraced. We see that in classical education. Mm-hmm. And I know you've written extensively on that, on liberal arts, on authentic Catholic pedagogy. And again, this mm-hmm. book comes into play not not just as a point of analysis of what's going wrong, but I think the prescription of how Catholic mm-hmm. renewal it can set things right. And a big area of that mm-hmm. is education. And and I, I know that mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to cover it all, but you talk about John Dewey, the Frankfurt School, the worldview, Nietzsche mm-hmm. and Marx, and even the Robin D'Angelo white fragility and how that's infiltrating schools Mm -hmm. by design. So what do people need Mm -hmm. to know about that? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's not a small question. Thanks very much. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's so much there. (laughs) You know, just, just uh, maybe if I could say one thing about beauty, because the two relate. So I think you're, you're exactly right. Where the church is experiencing, you can show this uh, empirically, where the church is experiencing great growth and, and renewed vigor is, is, is in those places precisely when the church is self-confident and where she's rooting herself again in, in tradition, in, in all its manifest forms. And, and this is not to be uh, traditionalist in, in the worst sense, where you think that history never changes or the, the church doesn't always continue to grow and expand. Of course she does, but always rooted in the past, and therefore we have a future. So I, I have a pastor friend of mine, you know, he's, he's in charge, he's a young guy, in charge of a kind of a, you know, not, a kind of an ugly-looking little church, but Golly, he went, to, he went and studied sacred architecture, and, and he's in love with the Lord. And so what he did is he found those who were interested in the project. Uh, they put the money together, and they've transformed this sanctuary into something glorious and, and noble and something that people are uh, excited about. Well, this is just natural. It happens. You know, you don't put lipstick on a pig. You buy for those, you know, if, you have, if you're a husband, you, for your wife, you buy her, buy her the best. You don't give her what's ugliest. And the same is true with worship. You know, we give ourselves entirely over to the Lord. Uh, we, we beautify our worship, as the psalm says. We sing a joyful song to the Lord, giving all of our skill that we can. Uh, and then whether it attracts people, well, that's secondary. Of course, it will attract, but, but the point is not that we're, we're not looking at each other. We're looking, first of all, at the, the one who made all things. How does that relate to education? You know, I think it's very similar. Uh, you, just like you don't put lipstick on a pig, our children... Um, uh, you know, as parents, we're the first educators. It's our job. It's not the school's job. It's not the priest's job. It's certainly not the government's job. Although all these three uh, levels of agency can help and should help us in their various ways. But fundamentally, we're in charge. So if it's not, if it's not going well, well, then, then we have to fix it. And we're going to stand before God and he's going to ask what we did. Any place for Catholic schools, uh, the stat, the, the, this year's stat isn't in my head, but it's something like 120 schools closed in the last year in the United States, uh, Catholic schools. Uh, but but a number opened, 
and you know those places where schools are opening of course demographics matters you know there are, there are multiple factors but one of the most important is those places that are returning to a classical form of education are the ones that are experiencing renewal why because it's emotionally and intellectually satisfying and it's uh, it's emanating from a christian metaphysical view of of the world dewey and the other architects of progressive education all start with the premise so this is the beginning they all start with the idea that there is no knowable truth, and hence you get, for example, in mathematics, constructivism, these ideas that you know, kind of make up, make up mathematics as you go. Well, uh, it's just not true. <laughs> yeah. so, so lots of, um, lots of reason for hope, but you know what? Not if we try it on our own. We have to, we have to first submerge, our, submerge ourselves and enrich ourselves in the plenitude of the tradition, and from there we can, uh, then we can figure out good ways to solve contemporary problems. Well, it's interesting because with Sean Patrick Flannery, when we were speaking about Nefarious and his role and yeah. the the way the script in the arc was constructed, there's this inversion. And when you look at some of the method methods of, of what's happening with the implementation of these programs and these ideologies in schools, you talk about mm-hmm. the old theological terms and virtues such as charity are replaced by mirroring counterparts like mm-hmm. tolerance mm-hmm. and diversity. And we need to be clear right. about this, that that is straight up relativism and that it comes with a constant revision of vocabulary. And mm. it, it's just it's diabolical, actually, when you the more that you understand that and that they're able to modify, make modifications so that they are mm. trying to mirror virtue, but it, it's not, in fact, and it's actually hostile yeah. to virtue. Exactly. And that's really important for us to be aware of, because I just think that for too long, we've kind of gone along trusting the system. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. You know, I think there's no way to get out of this except by becoming a little bit bookish. It's kind of annoying, you know, because uh, it's, it's hard work and it's not everyone's cup of tea. But as you say, you can't, we can't uh, invest the same kind of trust that we used to have in our, in our systems. Uh, be, why? Because they were invaded by alien ideas. And that, that's just literally what happened. We had a World War I, a World War II. Well, there was a World War III, and that happened at the level of culture, and it was going on uh, I mean, it starts in the 19th century intellectually, but then it, it spills over into, into our institutions in the mid-20th century. And now we're living uh, in the aftermath of that. I mean, pe- people are, um, you know, in, in one way, woke has been a blessing because it a- awakens everybody to recognize, like, hey, whoa, if I accept premise A, you know, if I think there's no God, there's no truth. Uh, if I think that um, there's only matter and therefore we're defined, our identities have to be rooted in race, color, sex only, and they're not rooted in virtue, which is what Christians think. You know, fundamentally, yeah, race, race is interesting and important. It has, it's relevant, but it's not the most important thing. It's only once you become a materialist, and then you join that to Marxist revolutionary theory, that, that you get woke. Uh, so anyways, uh, yeah, we've got to learn our old moral vocabulary. So um, maybe two words I'd, I'd make a pitch for is never say the word gender, one, Gender belongs to nouns, belongs to words, doesn't belong to animals. We are rational animals. We have sex. We're male and female. It's built into our DNA. Every single cell, all, what is it, 70 trillion cells uh, communicate the, uh, our sex. Uh, and and uh, gender tries to unhinge uh, biology from reality so that we act like ghosts. So we're just machines on the outside, and, and then we get to determine what we are somewhere deep in the bottom in our ghostly cells. Well, that's just, that's just uh, in the face of reason. So I would never use the word gender, and I would also 
uh, sorry to say, I've never used the word values, Welte. It's, uh, it comes from, uh, you know, it's German. And, and it's expressing Nietzsche's view that um, there's no more good and evil. It's just willed meanings that we impose upon the world. Jordan Peterson's fantastic, but, uh, you know, 20 years ago, he wouldn't be interesting. He, he says things like there's good and evil, probably, and there's male and female, and there might be a God. And, and now he's considered alt-right. Well, like right. 20, 40 years ago, this would just be bread and butter for anyone uh, who had a, a, a decent uh, Catholic education. Yeah, in common sense. <laughs> but it's true, and, and that's, sense. I think, what's what's so interesting, because he's actually an academic saying it, and saying it boldly, mm-hmm. and it does it does seem novel, and it is resonating. And it's interesting mm. times, and I love what you said, we, we have to kind of be bookish and, and do our homework, and I mm. think your book is one of the most powerful weapons in that arsenal. It's called Thinking as Though God Exists, Newman on Evangelizing the Nuns. And we just have a few more minutes. There's so much yet we didn't get to. I wanted to ask you, there was the story at a school board in Washington that just, I saw this just today, Washington State, and they canceled music lessons Mm -hmm. for the fourth grade class because they said it promotes Uh institutional violence and white supremacy. This is fourth graders taking band. Uh And we know this. And we know also they're hitting each other with the trumpets. Yeah. (laughs) Right. When you know they're not. But again, it's yes, it's this erasure (laughs) of philosophy and the the humanities. Uh I mean we could go and do a whole show about that. I want to get Mark because he's a teacher and he's on the line. And while we have a moment, Mm. I want to get his call in. But I want to pick it up there after that about the music class and in the meantime from California. Mark, are you with us? Uh, yes, thank you very much. Um, I'll get right to the question. Um, I'm a sure. public school teacher, and actually today I was asked um, by a student t- to call uh, her with uh, male pronouns. And uh, mm. I think I would be dishonoring God if, if I did that. Um, can you tell me what you think the, the, the moral Christian Catholic response should be on my part? And, and, and I don't care if mm-hmm. I get fired or not. <laughs> okay. Okay, thanks, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Uh, a tough question. I think you should care whether you get fired or not, because you shouldn't have to get fired because you are calling a spade a spade. The first thing I would do is I would get a lawyer, and uh, I would get a very good lawyer and figure out exactly what your rights are and what will be supported in law in your, in your district, in your region. Uh, so that's what I'd do. You don't have to die on every hill, uh, although, of course, there are hills that we do have to die on. Uh, and until you get that legal advice, what I would do is um, everything but damage your conscience, you know, try to figure out a way to, to, to be friends with this girl. I don't know how big her classes are. Maybe you don't know her from, from Eve, but um, uh, that's my advice. Thank you, Mark. And Dr. Topping, thank you. Uh, talking about school and education and, again, this issue of canceling ban because it promotes institutional violence. I mean, you you contrast mm. that to the story of Vivaldi and Vivaldi, the redhead, mm. redhead priest as we know him, and it brings us four seasons. But he also implemented this incredibly rigorous musical education, a world-class education mm. for orphan girls in Venice. Yeah. If you don't know the story, this is one of the other frustrations. Every child should know this story. Every child should know about the Reverend Daniel Joseph Jenkins, who was a, a freed slave who became himself um, the, the director of an orphanage. And he took these kids. And after the Civil War, there was instruments that he just banged up, was able to get for these kids. And they became amazing 
musicians and helped create what we now know as jazz. And so this is the example that music can ennoble us in the world around us. And so all of these things, mm-hmm. the truth, beauty, goodness, and the arts and literature that bring us closer to to God and to what he's created and to the source. Yeah. And so in art, yeah. all of that, maybe if you could give us a takeaway, what Newman could teach sure. us and, and yeah, what you okay. have to I- say. Sure, sure. No, that's great. Uh, wonderful reflections you have there on that on that uh, lunacy. Um, so one <laughs> one thing I'd say is that um, you know conservatives throughout the '80s and '90s and maybe into the early 2000s, basically this this is my read, so this is not Newman, but uh, I, I think basically social conservatives were content to allow as long as the conser- the Republican Party allowed the free market its reign. We left the realm of culture to the to the left and the progressives. And, you know, uh, sometimes you have to do this. You, you, you take a step back to take two, two steps forward. Um, but ultimately, I think it's been shown to be uh, a disastrous uh, policy. Uh, and so I think one of the wake-up calls for us, those who identify with the church and are socially conservative, uh, means this. We can't, only, we can't look to politics as our, as our saving force, although politics matters. We've got to turn to culture, and we've got to turn to planting those seeds of renewal now that we know are not going to bear fruit for 10, 20, 30 years. That's what the left did, and they're beating us now because of it. Mm. Okay, um, we, we literally have about 60 seconds, and I'm just a fill-in, so I'm not yet good with measuring time, but I want to try to take Deacon Tony. He's on the line, and I think he wanted to respond to Mark, the teacher. Um, you're on. Are you with us, Deacon Tony? Yes, ma'am. Hi. Just really quickly, whenever yeah. that's arised for me as far as addressing a child by pronouns, I just address them by their direct name. That way there's no question, no confusion. If it's Mary, mm-hmm. I call her Mary. If it's Joe, I call him Joe. Don't have to worry about he, she, her, or him. Mm-hmm. It's just Mary or Joe. Mm-hmm. Okay. As, as it should be, their, their Christian name. Thank you so much. And your response, Dr. Mm-hmm. Topping. Yeah, sounds very prudent. Uh, I, I think that's exactly exactly the sort of thing to do. You know, try to. Uh, we don't always have to be fighting each other. Uh, like, like our, we love our enemies, eh? And and those who, especially when you're talking about kids, they're they're confused. They're hurting almost, almost in every case. They are, uh, you know, someone who's wanting to move one way or another. Eighty percent of kids who say they want to be they want to change their sex. Eighty percent of them by the time they're like 20 years old, they've resolved that problem. You know, there are other issues at play. So. Uh, you know, a great deal of pastoral concern and, and care is what's required and love. Uh, and and we, golly, we've got to be as, as uh, clever as serpents because there are a lot of bad people that want to get us out of education. Yes, amen. Thank you so much. Dr. Ryan Topping, Thinking as Though God Exists, Newman on Evangelizing the Nuns is the book. He has written 10. I recommend them all. Also, Sean Patrick Flannery. Thank you. My name is Brooke Taylor. In for Kale. Timory is up next. God bless you. John Henry Newman, pray for us.